Hello, uh, welcome to uh, Wandsford Station at the uh, Neen Valley Railway. Uh, we're here today, uh, we're celebrating 125 years of the Railway Magazine and we're very lucky to have the current team as well as three previous editors here. So we have Pete Kelly, Nick Pygott, Chris Milner, uh, myself, Paul Bickerdyke and Gareth Evans, the Deputy Editor. Now, Pete, when did you take over as editor? I took over in um, 1989 until 1994. And um, I'm starting to feel a bit old now because <laughs> I must be the oldest surviving ex-editor of Railway Magazine. But you kind of but, brought so, the magazine out of the dark ages, if you like, well, into the, more of a news-driven... Yeah, my predecessor was John Slater and uh, he'd been there for quite a few years. He had a brilliant engineering brain and he had a big grasp of railway history. Um, um, but the, the magazine was um, mostly a kind of chronicle of um, railway history and um, fairly deep articles. Mm. And the way the market was going at the time was with more of an emphasis on news. And of course, colour photography was coming in. I mean, once upon a time, it was rare if you got yes. two colour pages in a magazine, you thought you were lucky. And it was a wonderful time to be there. And um, John, he was retiring at the age of 60, but he carried on uh, because I was working from home in Peterborough. Mm. And um, he would go into the office every day. He lived at Putney in London. And he would keep his eye on what was coming in. And um, I always, of course, picked him to do the book reviews because if anybody knew about history, he did. Um, and I think John was still working for us when I left. Was he was indeed. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Well, John, John was still volunteering there when, yeah. when I started in yeah. 2004. Yeah. Well, every, every weekend he'd, he'd leave London maybe on a Thursday night or a Friday and he'd take the train to the Talitlin Railway and he had a... Um, a little terrace house there, mm. and he would spend all weekend in his overalls, you know, uh, making rivets and whatever. It was fish plates. Spiders, fish plates, yeah. that's right. That's right. And then he'd, he'd come back on a, on a Monday morning, happy as Larry, because he'd had a good weekend. And um, yeah. I had a lot of respect for John. Um, he might have uh, come from a slightly different age, but... Um, I was always glad that he was there. You know? I think with John, I think one of the most incredible things was his, his knowledge. It was. Um, yeah. And his recall of things. And he, yeah. was, he was very quick to put you right if you, if was. you thought was, something was, was factually yeah. incorrect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we had many a, many a lunchtime drink in a pub at Sutton in Surrey, John and myself. And um, I liked his company, you know. Mm. And I, I was sorry when I heard that he passed away. Yeah, yeah. He's a real character, wasn't he? He was, he yeah. was, yes. Yeah. Yeah. old school, yeah. yeah. Mm. I think the problem was, from a commercial point of view, that he, he'd been there slightly too long. He allowed competitor magazines to overtake news-led ones. Mm. And he wasn't a journalist, as you know, Pete, so he was starting to flounder a little bit, and the, the magazine was reflecting that. The circulation was going down, wasn't yeah, it? Was, yeah. And you came along with your news hat on and your experience in journalism and you, you turned it into a newsletter magazine, yeah. you got new contributors in and you stopped the rot. Yeah. And I was able to benefit from the 
foundations that you, yeah. you'd created and yeah. uh, and take it on to, to sort of greater well you did you took it on to wonderful things and we used to meet together quite often anyway didn't yeah, we right. it's time. Drink, lunchtime drink isn't yeah. it yeah, but I was fortunate because um, I'd um, come from a different publishing firm, as you know, and I'd uh, been editing railway magazines mm. before, starting in 1980. Yeah. So I already knew a lot of the people who were like to, likely to be um, yes. um, correspondents, yeah. Bill Sharman and people like that, you yeah. know. Mm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, um, that, that, that made it a lot easier. Yes, you know? yes, yeah. absolutely. And then Chris... Um, Joined us in 1990, didn't yes, you, Yes, October 1990, yes. Um, he, Chris used to, he was a very, still is, very good photographer. Mm-hmm. Used to send all kinds of things in. Mm-hmm. And um, once a month we'd, we'd meet up somewhere and, um, you know, pass the package across. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, I was, I was very happy there. We had a, an excellent crew. And I used to be, I was working from home. Mm. And in those uh, days, the height of technology was a... Uh, fax machine yeah and uh, i'd take my wife out for a chinese meal in peterborough and i'd come back all relaxed and happy at about you know half past nine at night and we'd open the front door and the hall would be full of yeah. papers from colin oh, marston's oh, modern tracking yeah. stuff all folded up on top of each other wasn't it it was the same at my house it was all good yeah, stuff yeah. but it was also an era pete that if you if you recall the only computer that we had in the office when I joined was the one that Brenda Brownjohn, the secretary, used to send letters to readers. Yeah. <laughs> Everything else was done on a typewriter, wasn't yeah. it? And we used to send off the, um, the sub-copy yeah. on a motorbike courier that went all the way to Mason in Kent. Yeah. It was typeset. Yeah. We used to have it come back, yeah. change it and yeah. do all sorts of things. And it was so yeah. primitive and it was still probably three or four years before we actually moved mm-hmm. on to what were then yeah. a sort of embryo desktop yeah. publishing packages. Yeah, it's prim- primitive now, Chris, but state-of-the-art at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right. I mean, we, we, not that long before that, that we'd been on hot metal. Yeah. Well, um, the only way, I mean, when I was working on a different kind of title, we'd have a Sunday night press night in London, and we spent half of the night going to all the London stations waiting for parcels to yeah, turn up yeah, yeah. with prints in them. Yeah. You know, there are no, yeah. no email stuff. I know. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah. we had uh, people in the office all day long, copy typists, yeah. and people would ring up and it was very, very no, complex. I don't no. know how we did it, but we did. No, right. And I mean, the, the, the daily newspapers were run on the same lines. Oh, they were. I mean, I was in Goodness knows the time, how they, they managed. It's all hot yeah. Right up to the late 80s. Yeah. Yeah. But, UK, when we had our um, centenary in 1997, UK Press Gazette, bless its soul, came and did an interview with me. Yes. And when I read it, <laughs> they printed something I'd forgotten I'd said, which was that we were dispatching everything, photographs, prints, slides, the lot, you know, little old-fashioned floppy disks, and everything. it's all going in a big package on the back of the motorbike. That's right. And uh, we had to send it out to the designer who lived in Essex, rural Essex, and then it all had to come back again um, and then get sent out again on a van to the printing yeah. thing. And um, I'd said something, yeah, this is bloody ridiculous, you know. I said, in winter, there are all these icy roads and dikes, you know, dikes and the fans and everything. And I said, I absolutely dread this motorbike 
skidding <laughs> and the whole the bloody lot going, going into the, <laughs> this dike, you see. Yeah. All was impossible. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it was a nightmare, wasn't it? Yeah. And yeah, they put that in. So there was another period through. where our princes were in Bournemouth. That's right, yes. And um, I was working from home and we were doing, um, I think it was a 24-page supplement on the um, railway photography of um, Eric Tracy. Uh-huh. Yeah. So... I'd been, I'd been captioning all these photographs at home and everything, and it was getting closer and closer to press day. Yeah. And I finished at about, um, oh, I don't know, seven o'clock in the evening, and I thought, I'd better get these over to the um, printers now. Yeah. So I got in my car, drove all the way to Bournemouth from Peterborough. Yeah. yeah. I got there midnight time, mm-hmm. knocked on the door, and this disgruntled bloke opened the door and uh, I looked in and they were all asleep on the floor in their sleeping <laughs> So then I thought, yeah, so I set off home again, stopped for a, a sandwich and a cup of coffee somewhere and I got home at about, I don't know, five o'clock in the morning mm. and I thought, right, I might as well start work again now. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's how it used to be. I, I mean, because we were always late, we always just slightly missed the deadlines. You know, um, <laughs> and we didn't have. We had sort of couriers, but you had to ring up and order them. Yeah. yeah. So, like Pete, you know, I used to drive the whole bloody lot because it was all turned into film yeah. at Peterborough, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And then you had to get the film to the printer. Well, yeah, the printers yeah, sure. were either Colchester or Bournemouth, or in my case, Milton Keynes. So I, I thought, well, what am I going to do? If I start ordering printers this time of night, they're going to say, why are you so late? Oh, no. So the only thing to do was jump in your own car mm-hmm. and drive it, it to the right. printers yourself and uh, deliver it. Of course, it's, yeah. you get there, it's all locked up, you know, and you think, oh, God, yeah. dare I leave it outside the door? You know, I don't know what if it gets stolen. Yeah. And, all this. And, <laughs> so then you, and then you got back home, having done it in the middle of the night, didn't yeah. you? And then the next morning you think, I wonder if I want to charge that to expenses, you know, the yeah. mileage. And then you thought, no, I dare, because I'm not in terms of putting the magazine together back then was so say for instance you, you get a feature article in, that was all somebody typed that out on paper so how would you start to to, to process that um, you'd submit <laughs> and um, you'd send it to the um, printers and then they would just copy what you'd done. Yeah. And in the days of hot metal, you had these rows of linotype machines yeah. and about 20 blokes yeah. rattling away on them. But literally rattling. And you got, you got used to reading proofs upside down, back to front, yes. of course, because that's yeah. the way yeah. hot metal was. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I joined, um, we had these layout sheets, didn't we? And we'd, yeah. we'd get the galley yeah. proofs back. We used to have to cut them up, yeah. work out the picture sizes, and yeah. obviously scale them on the back, yeah. and then stick the galley proofs on. Yeah. It was a real sort of Blue Peter type was, job, yeah. wasn't it? You were yeah. literally and cutting the pictures. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It's yeah. all cutting yeah. pasted, yeah. 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 And, and then those sheets used to go off to a repro house, and then we'd get the laid out thing back wouldn't we you get the, you get a, a wet proof bag but you'd also yeah. get what's called a chromaline that's right that's right and this yeah. is all your pages every page came out with this big very thick glossy thing and that's like the only way you could print mm. yeah but it's the only way you could tell that the color was going to be as you wanted yeah that was it yeah yeah so we used to get a great batch of these didn't we every month yeah. But it used to look nice at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. the layouts yeah. look neat and yeah. tidy. And, yeah. yeah. But now everything's done on screen. Yeah. 
So who, who, who started working on computers then and not... It was our era, Pete, wasn't it? Because when we were at IPC, we yeah. were at IPC mm. um, King's Reach Tower. Yes. Yeah. We were about 18 stories up or something, yes. wasn't we? Yeah. Yeah. Nice, nice, um, nice, nice views. But yes. they, um, yeah, they said it's time we, we taught all our staff to um, use computers. And we had to um, take these compu computer courses with someone showing us the basics of how to operate yeah. them. And, um, you know, it's like like we were saying about John, you get st stuck in the mud over the years, don't you? Oh, yeah, definitely. And when something new comes along, you <coughs> yeah, say, you can't handle it. what's all this about? What was wrong with the way we, we always used yeah. to do it? Yeah. But, my God, how would we manage to do it? Oh, John was the last person in the whole of Kingswich Town to yeah. had a typewriter. Yeah. So which yeah. year would that have been then, Pete? About 1991, something yeah, like that. It was, it was early 90s. Yeah. I mean, what, yeah. what we were given... Um, what what the company provided on our desks because obviously laptops weren't even invented no, at that stage. No. We had this very slim Apple Mac right. that took took a three and a quarter inch floppy disk in the front, mm. yeah. and uh, it was it was mono screen. Right. Yeah, um, you would just type in the words as if you're doing a, a, a letter or something like that. And it was, it was, that's how it was, wasn't it? I mean, we didn't really have email, I don't think, in those oh, days. Oh, no, that came in 95. That, that came I mean, a Because it was later. CC mail to start with, wasn't it? Yes, I remember when Brenda right. first yeah, got yeah, it, yeah. and she only used it for letters. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you probably remember that when John was getting used to the computer, because obviously he came from a different technological <laughs> He never <age>. did quiz. <laughs> <laughs> it used to come up with this big bubble on the screen saying, I think you're trying to type a letter, and he used to say, "No, I'm damn well not." You know, he used to get quite indignant about yeah. about the sort of self-help hints that, that yeah. used to come out from from, yeah. from the software. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've got to say this: none of us would have managed without Brenda Brown John. Oh, she yeah. was a wonderful yeah. secretary. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. She was. And she more or less run yeah. the job. Oh yeah, she, she was the girl Friday, wasn't she? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, was Brenda already on the magazine when you started? I think she was. Yes, yeah, she yeah. was. Yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. But she was always there. Yeah. You know, if you had a problem. Yeah, yeah. got got us organised. Yeah. Oh, she yeah. did. And she <laughs> stayed until what? Twenty eleven when. When the magazine was sold by IPC in 2010, 2010. I think that's when, yeah. obviously, the people that were based in London didn't move with the, the title. Right, yeah. one, thing I, one thing I loved about the Railway magazine, of course, was that it was about modern traction and steam. Everything yeah. was in it. Yeah. And um, I got very friendly with the Scottish director of um, Railway Affairs, Bert Gemmell. Did you know Bert? I knew the name, yeah. but I didn't know the Well, I got very friendly with him. And um, there was one occasion where they were going to name a class 47 the Queen Mother yeah. in Aberdeen. And she must have been at Balmoral or something yeah, at that time. Anyway, yeah. Bert said, are you coming? I said, yeah, all right. He said, well, why don't you bring your wife along? I'll send you a first class sleeper ticket to get there. Um, we'll put you up in the big hotel at uh, Aberdeen Station. Mm -hmm. And then we'll give you your train fare to your train ticket to go back the next day and it was lovely he was always coming up with ideas have you ever been along the Kyle of Lacalche line no Bert oh well I'll tell you what why don't you come along on such and such a date and I'll see if we can uh, add the director's saloon on the back of it um, <laughs> just so that we can have coffee and um, yeah. what do you call those little Scottish um, biscuits things yeah. that shortbread that, no yeah. they were oat, 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 oat things anyway yeah. it doesn't matter 
But so there we are in the, in the grand, and yeah. yeah, you've got the yeah. sleeper up to Inverness. Yeah. And yeah. I just mean, have a look at the Kyle line. I've got to say, as, as enthusiasts, we were in the perfect job, weren't we? Because yeah. the number of perks you get yeah. and the number of uh, free trips abroad and to, to yeah. railways you only, could only have dreamt about, you know. Yeah. And we were lucky because we were able to catch the end of the steam era on a lot we of these lines, weren't we? You couldn't yeah. do it now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in terms of being paid to pursue your hobby, it's the, the best possible job, isn't it, the railway yeah. Because as you say, steam and modern traction yeah. and, and international. Yeah. And I've always been grateful to Pete, <laughs> indirectly, because... You left and handed it over to me just in time for the centenary yeah, I know. and the millennium I know. and the Queen's Silver Jubilee. And I, I, I was so sort of lucky that I, yeah. I caught it there because you could so easily have stayed on. I think you organised a wonderful leaving present of one of the Peterborough station signs. We did. Didn't you? Yes. Yeah. We did, and I've still got a picture of the presentation, but <laughs> I couldn't find it. That's nice. I'm sorry, yeah. Bill. But yeah, yeah no, that's good. That's good. Wonderful. Yeah. I mean, we've seen some very interesting historic things in our tenure, haven't we? Yeah. I mean, I remember when was it? Um, early nineties. You did that cycle ride for the A1 tornado, didn't you? Yeah, I was going to come on to that because um, I cycled all the way from was it um, which direction? I can't remember, but it doesn't matter. I made a little cardboard headboard to go on the handlebars and it said the flying Scotsman and it was only this big it was on the bike for the whole distance it was very similar it was a little white one just like that um, and on the way we, we, we called at the sidings near York oh York the yeah. yeah and mm. I'd started doing a series on the railway paintings of Terence Cuny or the yeah. railway paintings yeah. of you yeah. know yeah um, yeah, I can't and go. yeah, and and it was a nice thing to do. It was, and we started doing the same thing with the railway photography of mm -hmm. some of the famous photographers. Yeah. and I arranged for one of these painters to do an oil painting for us to present to the sidings of um, the Silver Jubilee going past, and I think it's still on the uh, on the wall in there. Um, yeah, it, it, was, <coughs> it was it was a lovely period. Yes, yes, it was. And I've just mentioned the souvenir issue. I mean, th this is it. This is it's lovely looking. I think, yeah. Paul, you asked me to say what was my favourite issue. Of okay, I think, that was I think awesome. this is it. Yeah, and it's 1997. It's yes, July 97, and it's yeah. it's not merely my favourite because it's a souvenir. Yeah. And it's perfect, perfect bound. bound. Yeah, it's, I think it's the first perfect bound one we've done since we went big in '63, yeah. and. Um, it, it, it's it's the features inside. I, I mean, mm. I, I commissioned one on not just the history of the magazine, but the history of all railway magazines, right. all, all railway publishing, and uh, you know, a title for every taste. And I'm very proud of that because so. it's, as far as I know, the only attempts ever been made. It's, actually, never, it's never been done no. before. No, and I've got this full list you see of of everything and the yeah. dates that they ran to and who yeah. published them and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It goes right back to 1830s right. because there was an original railway magazine before this one. Right. And not a lot of people know that. So um, that's probably the article I'm proudest of. Yes, I mean um, we, we always try our hardest, don't we? But but some come out. Somehow better than others, don't they? Or yeah. ones that yes. Oh, yeah. yes. Yes. It's not the, the the interview. The interview that 
and most dialogue is the one with Alan Pegler. I thought you were going to say that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that ran to four issues. Yeah, yeah. I could have done the book Former, on that, former really. owner of Flying Scott. Yes, yes, yes. yes. He, he was the most fascinating person I ever interviewed. But going back to the, the centenary, mm. we had that lunch at York, the dinner at York, didn't oh, we? Oh, it's brilliant, wasn't it? Yes, and we actually had the three former owners. We did. The, the, current, well, the current owner and two former we, owners we, of Flying Scott were there. We got Alan Pegler. Bill McAlpine and Tony Marchington yeah. together in one place, didn't we? It's yeah. the only time that yeah. photo was ever yes. taken. Yes. Mm. And do you know, there was a bit of a panic the night before, uh, sorry, the, earlier that day, because we'd all got to York, except for Bill, and I got a call on my brick-sized mobile phone <laughs> outside. I'll never forget this. It was Bill, and he said, uh, he said, we're very heavily delayed. He said, I'm in the back of a car at the moment. He said, I'm somewhere near Austin or somewhere. He, he said, is it really important that I get there? And I said, well, it is rather, Bill. I said, well, I'm going to struggle to make it, and I've really got other things I could mm. be doing. I said, Bill, please, if you could just keep going, because we've got Alan and Tony already here, yeah. and that's what swung it. Yeah. And, and he said, all right, I'll, I'll do my best, and he turned yeah. up. Mm. So I thank God for that. Yeah, yeah. amazing. Yeah, amazing. yeah. 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 Did, did you have a favourite issue or article, Pete? Um... The one that sticks in the memory? Well, there's several stick in my memory, but the 1990 issue, I think it was, it, it was the centenary of the fourth bridge. Mm. And they'd gone to all kinds of pains. They had floodlights on the bridge and fireworks and things. And yeah. um, we did the story of the fourth bridge. I think 70 people were killed building it, you know. Mm. And um, in, the, in, the, in the following issue, I started doing these centre spreads in colour. And we had a lovely colour of the fourth bridge, yeah, all yeah. little. Oh, yeah. um, Orangey, wasn't it? And that was one of the nicest um, sensor spreads yeah. I remember. That was my picture, Pete. If you, if you recall, <laughs> if you recall, you sent me up there and I was standing on the banks of well, the fourth. Well, that was why it was so good, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I was, yeah, with the fireworks, but I stood on the banks yeah. of the fourth, freezing my watsits off to, to get these, what were obviously historic yeah. pictures. But yeah. It, it, yeah. It, was, it was memorable, wasn't yeah. it, Chris? Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. A few um, years later, Chris and I went up there. We were invited to actually go on top of the fourth bridge. Yeah. Yes. And we went right. up that rickety builder's lift. Do you remember? Yes. That was yes. literally open but, to the elements. Yeah, but on the side. But that of went the... straight up the side of one of the great big, you know, yeah. cantilevers. And then yeah. it cantilevers, and it got on top of the first cantilever, didn't it? And it was a big flat area about the size of a football pitch. Mm. But mm. there were no fences. Do you remember? <laughs> we had to try and venture <laughs> as close as you dare to the edge to get pictures of trains coming underneath oh, it like yes. that. Yeah. And then. Then said, "Oh, we've got to get to the other side of the river now, uh, the fourth. So the first. So um, we, we all went uh, downstairs. And there's me thinking we'd be walking along the track because we've got network mm. of people with us, you know. And all of a sudden they said, now you've got to go through this trap door. Mm-hmm. And we went through this tiny trap door down a vertical staircase, <laughs> and we were on this rickety little path yeah. that was open to the elements with a low fence either side and nothing but the ro- raging water beneath you." <laughs> And we had to walk the whole length of the bridge. You were okay because you don't suffer from no. vertigo. <laughs> no, no, no. But I, I, I was crossed was underneath the tracks. Underneath yeah. it was slung underneath the tracks. Yeah, yeah. and it was completely yeah. open to the elements. Yeah. And I had to get from one side, and it's the most frightening experience yeah. I've ever had. Yeah, I was, wasn't crawling, but I was literally pulling myself along like that at about one mile an hour. Yes. It was, well, was awful. Yeah. yeah. 
but unfortunate to have been up for a second time as well. So, uh, <laughs> rather you than me. Yeah. yeah. I'm, pr- I'm proud of the fact that I did it. Oh yeah. But I was so scared. Yeah. yeah. Challenge Cunio did one of his paintings from up there. He did, didn't he? Yes, he did. And um, yes. And they didn't. They stop the traffic for him so they could get the train. Probably did. Uh, they so would have done that kind of thing, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think they did. And when I started this thing on um, railway artists, Terence was one of the first I rang up. Yeah. And um, I rang him from my house in Peterborough about nine o'clock in the morning. He said, um, "Wondered if we could arrange a little meet up, um, Terence, uh, get the story of you know your mm-hmm. life with railway art." And he said, "Oh, I'm going to Mexico um, tonight. Uh, the plane leaves at eight. I said, oh, well, we'll wait until you get back then. He said, what do you mean? You've got a station, haven't you? I said, yeah. He said, well, get down to Peterborough Station and I'll meet you at the station that he lived near Epsom in Surrey. Yes, somewhere. There, there and um, he'd lost his wife and everything by yeah. then. He was living on his own in a big Victorian yeah, kind of terraced right. house. Yeah. And uh, it was fascinating to be sitting with that great man and he's telling me this story in front of a raging fire. And um, I didn't need to ask questions. He, he wrote that article himself. He just told me, and that was what I wrote down. Yeah. And um, yeah. he got back from Mexico, and then a few years later, he fell into ill health. Yes. And he was in a, a nursing home somewhere. Yes. And I went to see him, um, and he'd, um, he'd done a, one of his special edition prints for somebody. And they just arrived when I got there. And um, I was pushing this great man to get his um, meal with these old ladies that were in the same home. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm pushing Terence Cuneo ah. in this wheelchair, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And then um, he, he didn't last much longer, no, he, he no. died after that. So I went to see him for another magazine. But, yeah. but when I got to the railway mag, I decided to do the same thing with David yeah. Shepherd. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've ever been to his studio, but he lives in this beautiful, well, he lives, he's dead now, isn't he? But he passed he, yeah. this wonderful sort of stately home he lives in. Yeah. Right? And he's got a studio in a separate building about as far away as those Nissan huts over yeah. there. And we walked across his gardens to go to the studio, and I did the interview and the photographs there. And while we were there, he was painting a painting like this, and he's got all his wet oil and everything, and I was taking pictures. And uh, when we came back out to go back to the house for a, a meal, it started raining. And uh, he said, oh dear, raining. He said, I'll, I'll take the painting with me. And, and he said, come with me. We went down some stairs and we were suddenly in a subterranean tunnel. And he built a tunnel under his garden to get back to his house so that his paintings didn't get wet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, unfortunately, all these um, railway artists, Barry J. Freeman, Don Brecken, David Weston, I'm not sure about David, but most of them have gone now. They're all gone. Mm. Philip Hawkins is still yeah. around. He's around. And Mark and Root, of course. They're, yeah. they're my two favourites, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a good series, Pete. It, it, it stood us in good stead for a long time, that, didn't it? Yeah. Well, the photographic one, I thought, was just as good because yeah. we got these yeah. incredible archive pictures from people. Yeah. And... Um, you could do a, a lovely five or six page feature just saying a little bit about the artist and you know doing you, the captions yes you, you, you could do that you could 
there's several things like you could turn into books or bookazines or yeah. almost yeah. you know like um, yeah. I think today we're swamped with images aren't we because of the yeah. digital age oh yeah and, yeah. Um, yeah yeah you, you're asking Paul uh, what was the the moment that we our earliest moments mm. you know were concerning the railway magazine it, it, in my case um, I became a spotter in the late 50s but I was a little bit sort of insulated by strict parents from actually finding out what was going on in the outside world. So really it was a case of my house, my bedroom overlooked the East Coast Main Line, right. but it was too far away to actually see numbers and names. Mm. So I could just see what class it was and that mm. was about it. And then they started allowing me to go through the fields on my own, you see, I must have been about nine or ten. Mm. And um, I was standing close enough to the line and the next train that came along was this northbound express and it was hauled by a, a, an engine with a number, number and a name and it was, I thought, oh my God, what's that? Miles Beaver, 60026, you see. And I thought, oh, that's right. And then I thought, well, I'll wait to see if the next train's got a number as well. And of course, it was some <laughs> filthy WD come clanking back the other way. No, that was not got a number. <laughs> I didn't find out until it had got a number. It's, it's just been so stopped, filthy, yeah, yeah. you see. Yeah. So I was walking down, and the next train came along. Like, oh, that's got a number. So I got home and I told my mum, you see, and she said, uh, Oh, right, okay. So, so the next time we went shopping, I went into this little bookshop with her in Grantham, and there was these ABC booklets. She mm. said, Mum, can you buy me one of these? It's two and six. And it was the summer 1959 edition of yeah. the Eastern, Northeastern yeah. Scottish Region booklet, you see. So she bought me that. That's, that's, how, it, that's how I got hooked, you see, because I started underlining all these numbers. You see. But even then, she said, oh, no, I don't want you going down the station on your own. You know, there's too, too many sort of town boys down there. <laughs> so I, I, I was sort of unaware that there were other magazines, that there were magazines mm. about. And it wasn't until I got to school, uh, it, it, I went to boarding school, and there's a place in Rutland, and uh, a classmate of mine called Dave Lee, and uh, his... What has happened was, it was 63, right? So in 63, the format of the magazine changed from about this size to a larger size. Still not A4, but about that size. And they had a colour picture on the front and everything. But they did a really stupid thing. They changed the size in the middle of an edition, a year. So it became November 63. It was totally different size to, right. to uh, October 63. Why they did that, I don't know. But anyway, it meant that for years afterwards they had these funny bound volumes with <laughs> two sizes of magazines in them. Anyway, because they wanted to promote the fact that they'd changed the format and made it a much better looking magazine, they apparently, the publishers sent out free copies of the Jan 64 issue to a whole load of addresses on the database. And this Dave Lee's father was sent one. So after he'd read it, he gave it to his son. He said, yeah, he might be interested in that. So his son brought it to school, and he was reading it in the classroom. And I said, what have you got there, Dave? He said, oh, it's this magazine my dad sent me. I thought, I'm a magazine about railways, you know. I said, can I read it? He said, yeah. And then I thought, can I buy it off you? And he went, oh, not really. I said, I said, I'll give you all my pocket money. So I gave, we used to get six penny piece pocket money. And we used to go down the tuck shop and spend this on food, you see, yeah. sweets. Yeah. So you could get quite a few sweets for sixpence in those days. Yeah. And I gave him the whole sixpence. Yeah. And he said, all right, you can have it. And that's how it started. Oh, so wow. that's the spark that fired the passion. It cost, it cost me money. Yeah. <laughs> it's been costing me money ever since. But anyway, um, I took it home and I showed it to my mum. 
And I said, uh, can I have it on a regular basis? She said, well, I'll buy you a subscription for your birthday. Oh, wow. And that's how it started. Oh, how old would you be now? Well, I think when I got the first subscription, I'd be 11. Right. Yeah. We're talking about the East Coast Main Line, um, I don't know whether how many people here know this, but uh, Nick is uh, famous for knowing off by heart all the names of the A3 Pacifics. In order. Well, I was. <laughs> God, when, it, it must when, be it, when it was your leaving do at York, <laughs> oh, God, you yeah. remember it. Yeah. I put you on the spot, didn't yeah, I? Don't do it again. <laughs> I won't, I'm not going to. But I, I started reading these numbers and names of the A3s, and then I said, go on then, Nick. And he stood up and reeled off about another 12 or 15. Incredible. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think it's because your mind's at a formative age, isn't it? It's, yeah. It, Information yeah, goes yeah, in and stays, stays there, doesn't it? Isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. wouldn't happen now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, they've been old friends, aren't they? I think all steam engines are old friends, aren't they? Yeah. You yeah. must have found out in your space. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I think one, one of the earliest issues I remember was, I think it was probably in 1980, I think. I was still at school then. Um, but, uh, but where we lived, we backed onto the Leeds to Bradford line which was all diesel and I was in a shop and I saw the issue of the railway mag and it had a, a colour picture of the APT on the front which was not only electric but it obviously was very futuristic at the time wasn't it and I just, yeah. I just had to know yeah. more about it as it happens there wasn't much about the APT in that particular issue <laughs> but it had a great picture on the front yeah. and but there were some great articles inside not least uh, there was a PMP about HSTs on the east coast main line and who, who would have known then that they, the HSC would still be going for like 40 more years on the East yeah. Coast Main Line at that time. Yeah, that was amazing, they lost it. And they still look as modern as they did well, yeah. when yeah, they absolutely. started off. Yeah, they're amazing yeah. trains. Yeah. Yeah. They saved BR, I think, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. And to think they were they were originally created as a stopgap. Yes. Yeah. Just because the electric hadn't gone ahead at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Ironic, really. What was your first connection with the magazine, Chris? Well, I first started reading it, um, I won't say on a regular basis, but probably, I think it was April 1966, and I think, I remember the front cover was a, a blue AC electric, which obviously later became a Class 86, and I used to read it on and off then, and then um, I remember that when Steen finished, at the time I was, I was living in Leicestershire, and um, the Great Central wasn't very far away from where my parents lived and the Midland, uh, Leicester Midland, was equally sort of a couple of bus rides away. And when Steam finished in 67-68, I lost a lot of interest in railways at that time. Mm -hmm. And it just sort of dissipated. I think, I think I was of the age where it was girls and football, right. which is probably the same for quite a few of us. Yeah. And it was only when... I started to realise in the early 70s when the Westerns were starting to go, it was like, because you couldn't travel far, I think because of limitations of, that you, where you could travel because of age and the parental control, um, I started to get more interested in, in Westerns and things like that and eventually, you know, I went off chasing and went to Reading and went here, went there. And it, you know the bug had bit me again, and I uh, started to get a bit more into mainline steam. Uh, I was working with people who knew a bit more about mainline steam, right. and went off with a couple of guys, and 
we I think we, it was Chase Flying Scotsman, yeah. and, it, and it really evolved from there. Mm. Were you taking pictures from the start? Um, yes, I had. I still, well, unfortunately, I don't have them, but I remember back in the day taking pictures at uh, Barrel on Saw of uh, 8Fs, 9Fs peaks with uh, brake tenders and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. You know, that used to regularly come yeah, through. Yeah. Um, mm. And obviously, I remember the demise of the Great Central and, and how that, that, that yeah. sort of ended. I mean, as yeah. a youngster, um, we regularly used to go down to place in Leicestershire, Leicester, just on the outskirts called Aylston, and see the, um, the, the York to Bournemouth train, which was quite often hauled by a Great Western 460. Yeah. And eventually that got turned over to a, an English Electric Type 3. Yes. And, you know, it was it's sort of memories like that yeah. that sort of kept it rolling. And yeah. But, ne you know, never in my wildest years did I ever think I'd actually be writing about railways. No. And, and writing, really, what people no. are going to read in the future about the history at the time. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's been, been obviously yeah. an immense privilege to have been able to do so. Yeah. So, despite being a child of the Midland region, you were interested in Western region... I, I think it's like a lot of us that when we realise yeah, the, the special something yeah. something is going to disappear. Yeah. I mean, mm. it, it's like as a, as a comparison, we've just lost the class four five fives. Yeah, and I've had a couple of trips to London just to right. photograph them because yeah. not living in the area, not travelling in the area regularly, you don't see them. So you think uh -huh. just nice to get a few pictures before well, we go. Well, you can. Well, you yeah. can, and it was yeah. the same in a way with. The class 303s in Scotland. I had, I had a couple of trips to Glasgow to yeah. photograph them, and I, th I think I think obviously now because of the awareness, we tend to do that a bit more. So yeah. I, I, th I think the fact that we are the age we are it, it has been quite helpful in editing this particular title because I don't know about you, Chris, but when the diesels first started coming in, they were brand spanking new and hadn't got any dirt on them or anything. It was quite exciting. I, I actually found myself loving steam and hating it when they were all going, mm. but being sort of strangely excited by the brand newness of these new engines. I remember looking into the depths of Peacecliff Tunnel once, and it's all black, obviously, and suddenly I thought I'd gone to heaven because a white engine came yeah. out, pure white, and it was Lion. Oh, right. the, the prototype yeah. Lion, and it was white. You never forget things like that, you know. 60 years old this year, I think. Like yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it didn't last long, did it? It was a shame yeah. because it was a good engine. Yeah. Yeah, well, so, how about you, Gareth? How about your first yeah. memory of the railway? Uh, well, Dad had been reading it for many years, um, and you know. Did you have lots of copies lying around the house? Yeah, you we, we, them? Um, yeah, he still has. He's got one. Oh. Could I, I've always said it's been an official library to be fair lots of <laughs> railway books lots of railway magazines um, and they've survived many attempted culls by the domestic <laughs> authority but, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so dad was always was a reading railway literature so of course want to be like dad you know yeah. and, uh, and read the railway magazines and uh, yeah <clears throat> so then you by reading it you pick up um, different classes um, what, they, what they are don't you by reading the um, the captions. I always think as a uh, as an editor, it's important that the captions are informative yeah. because I remember as a reader how that helped to um, enrich my knowledge. Yeah. And uh, and then you get inspired by different images, the writing styles. So yeah, it's reading railway titles as a youngster helped then me to I used to think that I'd like to have a go at writing and um, taking photographs. And so that's what I started doing mm. from the age of eight. But um, and then started to contribute then to the railway magazine to cliff thomas for narrow gauge and uh, peter nicholson for 
classic traction. I uh, remember meeting him at um, Welsh Ball and um, uh, Cliff there. Cliff was always really nice with me, great gentleman. Always encouraged me as a youngster and, and now it's great to work. Um, and with having them, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. seems strange. <laughs> the same for yeah. Peter Nicholson. I remember meeting yeah. him at Woody Bay Station on the Linton and Barstable Railway because we were doing uh, it's a volunteer in there a couple of times when I was younger. Uh, meeting Peter there and yeah, gentleman. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean that that just illustrates the great continuity we have on the magazine. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, look at this, you know, way back to '89 as editor, yeah. here, mm. and all the way through to us now. Yeah, uh, and our contributors have been writing for the magazines That's for true. years and years as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yes. Uh, one of the most rewarding things for me is what you just said the, the fact that something I've written might yeah. have inspired someone of your age yeah, yeah. I think that, that yeah. is a really nice feeling because at the time you're just thinking you're in the, you're in the present moment you're not yeah. thinking of what it might happen in 20 30 years time mm. you know and you know it's a big shock to me that they find out that the age of steam railway is wasn't born when I was first. Yeah. Of the <laughs> like, you know, yeah. Crikey, I didn't think I was that old. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I used to turn to very often, which started in the steam days, was locomotive practice and performance. Uh, British locomotive practice. British, British. We yeah. had to keep <laughs> shaving words off it, don't you? Because you, you, they'd, they'd go on a train, wouldn't they, and, and they'd produce a complete timing log of the journey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah. If you got numbers like 90 miles an hour or 95 miles an yeah. hour, you'd be talking about That's it, right. wouldn't you? Yeah. I used yeah. to just look down the speed column because all the rest was yeah, like, no, that was the no first double thing. No, it was the only thing we were interested in, really. Yeah. But did you know Ozzy? Did you ever know Ozzy? I interviewed Ozzy Yes. Well done. Yes. Unfortunately, I would have loved to, but I never knew him. And yes. by the time I took over, it was Peter Simmons that yes. was doing it. Yes, no, I did Ozzy. Mm. And also, um, I'm glad that I interviewed who the person who at the time was the world Britain's oldest man, yeah. a chap called Vincent Gulliver. Yeah. And he was 108. And he remembered his dad bringing home the first issue of Rowan Mag. He remembers his dad bringing it home. Issue one. Issue one. He remembers his dad bringing it home. Wow. Yeah. That's something. Yeah. 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 That, that really sort of puts it all in context. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 No, we've had a good innings. You are, yeah, no, I was just thinking of a question, how to ask a question for a moment. Yeah, your um, your first issue as, as editor, yeah, yeah, did that, am I right in recalling that included a, a tribute to, to um, it? Oh, it's not, it did, yeah, it did, and uh, also um, Di Woodham, right, yes. gosh, yeah. both in the same issue. Wow, I was thinking, God, <laughs> not <laughs> my last <laughs> after, no point in carrying on, <laughs> yeah. Barry Lopez, yeah. 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 And the Grim Reaper, please take a rest. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it got better. It got better. Yeah. <laughs> did you, did you, you did 21 years, didn't you? Yeah. Did you ever think you were going to do 20? Did you no, set out to do no, 20 no, well? No. To be honest, no, I didn't. Of course not. I mean, I, it, it wasn't until I got to level with Peter, uh, John Slater, who did 19 years. Mm. When I got level with him, then I started getting interested in researching the history of the other ages to see how, long, how many issues they'd actually done. Right. And it was when I realised it was within reach... Mm. That I thought I'll, I'll, you know, I won't resign just yet. Yeah. Yeah. I think the most, um, probably one of the most significant aspects of our jobs is is having reported on the phenomenal changes that have taken place on the 
the mainline railway network as a whole. And it's particularly appropriate now with the Queen's Platinum Jubilee coming up this week to look back on the fact that the Rowing magazine has covered not only her coronation but her Silver Jubilee, Golden Jubilee, Diamond Jubilee and now, believe it or not, her Platinum Jubilee. And 20 years ago, it's, it's hard to believe she's still on the throne because 20 years ago I actually wrote in my comment in the 2002 July issue that there, there have been monumental changes on the railways during the reign of Queen Elizabeth II. When Her Majesty acceded to the throne on February the 6th, 1952, the then fledgling British Railways was building not only Britannia's but numerous Big Four designs as well. Not a single 9F had been constructed. There were only half a dozen mainline diesels. No one in the railway world had even heard of beaching, let alone his axe. Freight yards the length and breadth of the country heaved with wooden-bodied wagons loaded with coal, cattle, fruit and just about every other commodity imaginable. Winston Churchill was Prime Minister, the first motorway was still more than half a decade away and only a few people had a car or television. Food was rationed, millions of terraced house chimneys smoked from the coal produced by almost a thousand collieries and the workshops of cities like Manchester, Leeds and Glasgow were still steam locomotive builders to the world. It's hard to compare that with the present day scene and realise that it has all taken place within the reign of a single monarch. And Paul, that was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, so yeah. what's so happened since? Well, I think one of the fascinating things about railways is when you look at it day to day, not much appears to be changing, but a little bit is changing all the time. And over, over the past two decades, uh, it all adds up. So we've seen um, train operating companies come and go, um, yeah. We've seen pretty much the end of coal being transported, yeah. rail, which is a massive thing. Massive thing. Um, but we've seen we've seen positive things as well. Uh, the Elizabeth Line has just opened, mm -hmm. which is a, a huge construction project uh, over the past decade. Or more. Yeah. HS One. HS One from HS1 HS1 Bankers, yes. on the way. Yes. Uh, oh, HS One. Yeah, HS Two yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, um, <coughs> we're seeing. Um, the intercity fleets completely changed now, mostly yeah. based on Hitachi yeah. type trains, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. Um, we've seen at the end of a lot of the um, older rolling stock, haven't we? The, the Pacers mm. have gone, the Classical yes. five fives have gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot of other old. Not much BR era stock. No, no, left, no. Really. Heritage railways—they've changed completely, haven't they? <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, they've, um, the sort of happy-go-lucky days of volunteers walking across lines without mm. high-vis vests and well, it's yeah. all part of history now. Part of history, yeah. yes. Yeah. And yet, on the other hand, we're still seeing uh, a great amount of mainline steam. Yes, that's, that's, that's just great. big positive, isn't yeah. it? But the coal's going to be a problem for that soon, isn't mm. it? I mean, where do we go with coal? Environmentally-wise and... and sourcing-wise. And, and sourcing-wise, yeah. Cost. Yeah. Cost-wise, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. a big struggle for big many heritage lines. Well. Is, Cost of diesel. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Well, yeah. 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 It's easy to say just run a diesel instead, but, yeah. but you've got yeah. to fuel those as well. Correct. Yeah. 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 I, th I think one of the things I find a little bit sad about recent developments is, is what you mentioned, the, the homogenisation of, um, of train design. Mm. There's so many of these um, IETs around now, you know, whether you call them Azulas or what, 
they're mm. all the same front ends with just a different colour yes. and it's you know they're on the Great Western they're on the East Coast they're on you know whole trains even yeah Transpennine seem to be middle and main line if every steam locomotive looked the same it wouldn't have been the same yeah really. there's, a, there's a bit of a I'm reluctant to use the word boredom factor but mm. a lot of it's starting to look the same as you say just with different paintwork mm. yeah the, the character of the railway that we knew and enjoyed all those years ago has is, 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 is also changed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 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 also, green tunnels have got an incredible, have had an incredible derogatory effect on enthusiasm. Mm. Because not only is it now almost impossible to see the countryside from the trains, so people tend to not look out of the windows so much anymore, but whereas I grew up overlooking a line I could see what trains were running by my house if I was living in that house today apart from the fact a housing estate sprung up in between so it's blocked it out anyway even if that hadn't happened the hedges have grown so high you, you wouldn't even know there was a railway there mm. and that's the case all over the country so all any young kid trying yeah. to get into railways has, has got this big handicap the trees is another hot topic though in a way isn't it yeah it's, it's it, people don't want them chopped down, but then again, no. from the safety angle, yeah. you've got the leaves falling yeah. in the autumn. Yeah. Permanent way is managed in a radically different way, whereas yeah. previously you'd have <clears throat> gangers responsible for small their own sections yeah. of track, keeping a manual check on it. You've now got trains that will run and report, highlight yeah. defects and get teams yeah. out to attend to them. So you've got fewer resources spread over a larger yes. area. Uh, and that's reflected in the line side attitude as well, isn't it? So yes. <clears throat> Keeping the hedgerows in check or whatever, you've got hot spots needed to be um, chopped to say um, a tree if it's uh, blocking a sighting for a signal or a level crossing, but the rest yeah. of it's left to grow. That's right. Mm. And of course, another big change is, is signalling, and particularly in the recent years when we've got the, the regional operating centres now taking over yeah. vast yeah. stretches yeah. of railway. Oh, they? vast, yeah. And, and you've and, lost and replacing even multiple power boxes, which were the, the, um, the state of the art in the past. Yeah, uh, well, that will change further as we move towards e e ETCS. Well, yeah, as well. So, yeah, we've lost that sort of personal touch where you can turn up on a, a stretch of line side and, and shout up to the signalman, anything do, yeah. mate? Yeah, and all that's gone now, isn't it? Yeah. But you know you've got a sneaky CCTV staring at you from somewhere, probably. Mm. But at the same time as enthusiasts, we've got access to digital information that we wouldn't have had True. in the past. Very so we should, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Real-time trains. Access, yeah. We? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and others that yeah. you can... Yeah. You can hear a train passing and you can look it up on your smartphone. Yes, for every negative there's probably a positive. Yeah. But it does take a lot of the, the element of challenge out of the hobby, I think. Yeah. Know, because uh, it's a little bit like fishing in a way, isn't it? You don't know what's lurking beneath the water, do you? No. When you pull it out, it's a surprise. Yeah. And that used to be the case when you, when you didn't know what was due next. True. Yeah, yeah this temptation to look at your phone. I suppose the element of surprise possibly is still there to a certain, to a lesser degree because you can be following a train on uh, on a website, but then if it gets terminated short because I don't know it, there's a breakdown or there's they haven't got a relief crew or whatever. It, mm. uh, maybe yeah. yeah, yeah, 
I mean, it must be even more pronounced for you, Pete, because you started spotting in the 50s, didn't you? Yeah, and the other thing is that uh, when, I, when I swapped from railways to different subjects, a lot of the modernisation went on that I didn't really know about, yeah. you know. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Oh, you only have to turn your back for a couple of years and it's all changed, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, literally. You need to be watching it all the time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But that's coming back to us, isn't it? We've got the long view. We've got the 125 <coughs> years of history, and yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Another yeah. change thinking about from the freight side is the uh, former uh, EMUs, uh, electrological units, being being reused from pass or being um, reused from passengers or withdrawn from passenger service, and then becoming. Mm. Carrying a palletized or you know um, trolleyed goods, so then they can operate into the heart of mainline termini. That's in a way sort of the, coming full circle from yes. goods coming and then being moved um, in smaller electrical vehicles in our you know urban centres. So instead of having big trucks coming into urban centres, they'll move, be moved either in small electric vans or electric bicycles to. That's kind of almost going back to either the horse and car or the, the scammer lion horse mm. or whatever, oh, taking yes, little loads. Yes. To, uh, and, yeah. Yeah, little three wheelers. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. funny how it's come full circle. Yeah. 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 Well, I don't think we'll ever see as much freight as we had before there. No. I can't see that happening. Although we've got a lot of boxes. Well, it's changed. It will get us changed, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Intermodal. Yeah. And aggregates. And yeah, we're seeing more um, intermodal terminals opened up, aren't we, mm. on greenfield sites, <clears throat> things like that. But seeing um, the, uh, the the logs or the timber on the Cambrian line that we've just got in our mm. latest issue. Yeah. I mean, fantastic yeah. to see yeah. hear about that. No, yeah, that's what. And, and there's a big yeah. uh, water contract about to start in um, just north of Perth. Right. Uh, that's going by rail, so yeah. distribution of that. Yeah. So. You know, there's a, there's a number of positives yeah. um, coming out of this. Yeah. yeah. But we um, we haven't just reported on the news, have we? We've also oh, made the news. Yeah, the we news. have made the news. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, going way back, I mean, wasn't it one of our readers that named the Cornish Riviera Express yeah, way, way back? Yes, readers' competition. Yeah. 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 Started, I suppose that's how it all started, really. Yeah, it's always been nice to make the news. Uh, I mean, we... Um, we sponsored a, a Pendolino with Virgin Trains that actually uh, broke the record for running from Glasgow to Houston. Um, we were all aboard, weren't we? we were. Along with some lucky readers who'd won a poll. And um, it was pretty nerve-wracking at one stage because some stupid lorry driver had struck a bridge <laughs> somewhere near Warrington. And um, it was touch and go whether we, we, yeah. we were going to be allowed to go over the bridge, but we were, and we got into Houston uh, in record time. Three hours, 55 minutes, 27 seconds. Well done, Chris. Yeah, I was yeah. hoping somebody would have shipped <laughs> yeah. all that. The but fastest that, southbound one, yes. yes. And then yes. last year, you tried we tried to, to set northbound, we yeah. to set the fastest northbound yeah. one and missed out Just unlucky. About 20, 20 seconds. 20 seconds. Yeah. That's yeah. so cruel, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I think yeah. I think there was some debate at the time that the restrictions at car, at car stairs mm. were and I think at the moment we're about to go through a complete reorganisation of the truck at Carstairs. Yeah. So uh, yeah. you have another go, Paul. Uh, yeah, try yeah. Just yeah. Try yeah. Again. I believe yeah. there will be one yeah. at some point. Yeah, yeah. 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 you have to do yeah. one of these coasts as well. Wow. Yeah. 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 Oh, because yeah. 
we were talking earlier about perks. I mean, some of the perks that we've had is the three of us, probably you as well, Paul, have been amazing. I mean, probably the one that sticks mostly in my mind is um, just before the Channel Tunnel Rail Link opened, the week before, before the signalling had been um, switched on, they said they were going to try and break the British speed record. And they got um, a Eurostar specially tuned up and to keep the load down they only invited a few people so there was just journalists really and some VIPs and I was one of the lucky ones invited and we went on this um, this train from I think it ran from Ashford to Waterloo and it had in the coach we were in there was a like a TV screen in the corner at one end and they had a great big digital readout of the speed and <coughs> we knew that after this week, there would be 186 miles an hour maximum, and after that, no, you know, the signaling won't allow you to go any faster. So we got up to 186, and then it was a case of keeping your fingers crossed. And um, it was so exciting to watch and look out the window and see everything flying by. Yeah. And we were watching it, it went 190, 190, and then it started creeping up really slowly, yeah. 200 miles an hour, <laughs> and everybody went, yes! And then it went 201, 201.2, 201.3, yeah. wow. and, we and uh, eventually it got up to 208, didn't wow. it? 208.4, was it? And uh, then it started slowing down. And the most amazing thing, that I remember was the noise because I expected to hear a, the conventional train noise, yeah, you know, yeah. like click, 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 click. Oh, the world in rail, I know, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean. And, yeah. and the whoosh of the sound outside yeah. because it wasn't, it wasn't. It was more like a long, loud droning noise that yeah. just got built up and built up and got louder and louder and louder. And it was the electric motors mm. straining. Yeah. And it was sort of really strange because it was insulated from the outside sound. And it was just. Oh. <laughs> and it was like that. And it got louder and louder. It built into this crescendo of that noise. And it's so untrained like. But I'll never forget it as long as I live. And I, th I feel so privileged, you know, to have. To have run it over 200, it's more Formula One speed, isn't it? Mm. Uh, on land in this country, oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I suppose you won't do it again until they open HS2. They might try another, try and break that record, but I'll probably yes, won't be around for that. <laughs> the way that's going, I won't be around. <laughs> but that was that was a real privilege. Yeah. And I was on the East Coast one that did 154 miles an hour that you photographed. Yes, yeah, that, that was yes. that was a, another exciting time, especially yeah. for me because yeah. we went through Grantham, you see. But you, you also had another privilege, didn't you? That you um, you appeared on Top Gear. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the thing most yeah. people remember now. Members of the public, yeah, yeah. Mm. you were on Top Gear, weren't you? Uh, <laughs> you were in yeah. the posse. Yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was really weird. Yeah, that was yeah. that was on the Great Central when they had the, um, the yeah, caravan. They had a caravan, yeah. literally a caravan train, a caravan around, and uh, it was hauled by a converted car, wasn't it, with rail wheels? Yes. Mm. And uh, what's his name? Was it was driving it, wasn't he? The, the guy who runs it, Clarkson. Clarkson, Jeremy Clarkson. Jeremy yeah, Clarkson, he yeah. was driving, and uh, poor old Murray Brown of yeah, He was. He was in the car with him at the oh, front. But I, I got one of the luxury seats in one of the caravans where um, there was like waiter service <laughs> coming through. <laughs> uh, I was with the NRM head and we were sitting and, and this chap came through and started spilling coffee while I was on purpose. <laughs> it was a real Mickey take. You know. But the thing was, it was uh, 
we, we had such fun making that, you know. And then at the end of the day, they burnt, they set the whole thing on fire uh-huh. and burnt it, you know. And then, oh, and then it crashed, they had a peak crash into it, didn't they? Yeah, it crashed and, into it. And send it to yeah. smithereens, this caravan. <laughs> and um, to this day, people still come up, like members of other families I meet in social circles. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. All those other things I've done, that's all they've done. It shows the power of TV. Yeah, yeah. 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 But you you were were instrumental in the saving of Pendennis Castle. Oh, yes, that was a. I'm very pleased that we were able to do that. Mm. And and that was a lucky stroke because um, my, my Australian contributor rang me up at home one day and said that Hammersley Iron had. um, Rio Tinto had, had approached him as a facilitator to see if um, he could find someone to buy Pendennis Castle because they were thinking of um, disposing of it. It was marooned in Australia. It was marooned. It couldn't run because they'd changed all the signalling for the iron ore trains and it was no longer compatible and it was going to cost too much money to convert it. The enthusiasts in the society, the Pilbara Society, had, had lost interest and, and were drifting away. And Rio Tinto had got, was saddled with this old British steam engine they didn't know what to do with. And Tom Winterbourne, my correspondent, said, you were the person I thought of to ring. Can you suggest anything? So I immediately thought of the Great Western Society in Didcot because I knew, um, I knew the people there. So I, I rang them in confidence and from there sprang the most amazing sort of cloak and dagger story imaginable because we obviously had to keep it quiet A, to stop competitor magazines finding out and B, to stop anybody else buying it in the meantime because you know, a millionaire could have stepped in and taken it to America or anything so I had to sort of get them to agree to a, keep quiet about it, and B, when it did break, that we could break the story, it had to be our exclusive. Mm. And it lasted nearly a year. Uh, I keep fingers crossed all the time. <laughs> I couldn't write a thing. Oh, I had written, yes, I had written something to say it might be for sale, hadn't I? Mm. And we put that on the front cover. But then from there, it had to be real sort yeah, of keep quiet. quiet. And uh, I think Robin Jones started finding out about it, didn't he? And I was paranoid that he was going to put something in Heritage before I could get it into us. So, it, so then Heritage, I, Heritage Railway wasn't our sister title. No, no, it, it was, time it was, it was separate, yeah, separate, right. separate title. And I thought, oh, Bobby's bound to get this. So, so I, um, I rang Richard Croucher at Didcot. I said, I think we're going to have to run with this when you've when you bought it. Like, he said, we haven't bought it yet. <laughs> he said, we're still in sort of like tenterhooks, you know. He said, I, I said, how far away are you? You know, Can you speed it up a bit? I'm, I'm, I'm going to press on such and such yeah. a date. Yeah. And he said, I'll see what I can do, you know, because we promised you that you can have it, you know. I was if Robin comes out before I do, and uh, so eventually uh, I bring him again. He said, we've, "We've done it. We've done it. We've actually bought it." I went, "Yes!" And it was such a sense of relief, you know. And um, so we ran the story, didn't we, as an exclusive? And Robin came out that same week with the same story, didn't he? About two or three days after, and I thought, "Yes, we've beaten him," you know. But um, that was it. That, so that was a case of making the news as well as reporting on it. Yeah, yeah so definitely. And, and now, yeah, now pandemic is. Yeah, last month. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. So we, I'm, I'm so pleased. That's all worked back out. Back in the country. Back yes, in that's right. Back in action. Yeah, yeah. But the magazine also had a responsibility for Flying Scotsman, didn't it? We helped to save that, didn't yes. we? Yes. We ran a reader's appeal. Yes, yeah, save yeah. our Scotsman, yeah. Yeah, SOS. Yeah. yeah. 
Was, this, was that before the museum bought it, or was that uh, before? Yeah, before, before. It, 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 at the time, it, it was uncertain what was going to happen to it. There was yeah. a lot of talk again about it going abroad, particularly America, mm. um, and obviously that would have been where it had un, been. unthinkable. Yeah. 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 Um, so was this at which point was this then? Who who had, had got it for sale? Uh, it was. Tony, I think Martin. it was part of the estate of Tony Martington, right? Yeah, or Pete Waterman and Tony, yeah. they owned it jointly. No, Pete Bill, Pete Bill owned it jointly. They sold it. To they, to they, they sold it to Tony. Tony. That's right. Oh, Bill told me a great story about that. <laughs> he said he was sitting in his living room, and um, Tony said, um, "How much do you want for it?" And uh, Bill said, um, "Well, I think I can't remember where was I." Was that? Hundred fifty thousand or something, whatever it was, and it was in the way really expensive price. Right? And um, he, he gave a price, and, and Tony went, "Hmm, well," um, and he was saying aloud, "Thinking like, there's hundreds of thousands, thousands, plus the taxi fare to get here tonight." <laughs> 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 yeah, okay, I'll, I'll buy it. <laughs> but I think I'd just like to say a bit about where we are now at more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think in 2010, when the magazine was bought from IPC by Morton's, there was a, certain, <coughs> a little bit of trepidation, wasn't mm. about moving to the middle of Lincolnshire from yeah. central London. Yeah. I think that um, would be fair to say, but I think to counter that, the management of Morton's at the time and even now have been utterly fantastic. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, it was it was like very much an attitude, and I remember. Dan Savage saying to this to Nick and I on the first day we, we arrived at Horncastle, he said, he said, look, you guys are the experts, you know your readers, you know your markets, you you can get on with it, I won't be breathing over your shoulder, the door's always open if there's a problem. Mm. And I think, you know, I've always, when I was editor, I felt that that was the case even then, that, that you know, there was certainly no interference from the back. So... Um, Mm. But it, but it's and, and it's I turned think out to be a really good home for the magazine. It's been a brilliant home, yeah. yeah. Well, despite being yeah. about as far away from a railway. Well, that's the other yeah. thing, isn't it? I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, the very first month of this year, I did a two-page spread on Horncastle's railways. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's yeah. a case of digging deep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was good. And, and Morton's. I also want to add to what Chris has just said that they improved the production values mm. of the magazine because it was getting a bit thin paper at uh, IPC towards the end. And um, they, they, as as Chris has just said, they were very hands-on. And I understand that they, one of the conditions of the sale was that Chris and I went with it, you know. So we kind of felt that it was a good home. Mm. And who knows what would have happened if we'd stayed in London, because yes. a little bit later on, they all moved out to Farnborough. Yes. And that would have been very hard for us to commute to, wouldn't it? Yeah. But what about... Obviously, we've spanned various things. Uh, our own anecdotes for 125 years, although mm. some of us aren't quite that old. But what, what do you foresee over the next well, 125 years? Yeah, as we mentioned before, there's, there's, there's so much changing every day. Bit by bit, it all builds up. There's so much to look forward to, though. Mm. Not least, perhaps, HS1, which will make a massive two. difference to HS2. HS2, even, yeah. HS2, which will make a massive difference yeah. to what our, about our rail network. Oh yes, well I always know, yeah. What about automation though? Or driverless trains and things like that? Yeah. 
sure. Do you see that as a? We invite some readers to sit in. I can't see. I can't see that on the near future. No. No. no can you? I can. Yeah. Okay, because if you think that technology is normally um, <coughs> developed for for road applications mm. first, especially on the truck side, the rules of the highway code has been adapted recently. For we've got driverless automated vehicle automation. I think it's going to be reality that it'll, it's there on the horizon, it's closer than it's ever been. Mm. And if you think there is some precedence there with a railway, a railway would be easier to, to t- keep control of than a, than a public road. Mm. You, you've got fewer variables, you haven't got a pedestrian who's not going to, or not so likely to step off a pavement on a driverless road. Um, on a railway, it's going to be fenced. Mm. And you still get trespassed. But well, yeah, we've got used to it on like yeah. the Docklands Railway, yeah. anyway, but on a, on a, on a 150 mile an hour mm. mainline train. Mm. I suppose if you think we've got the, um, this, it's there on the horizon having um, electric trucks, mm. uh, lorries, and driverless mm. HGVs. There, um, yeah. But what about what about things like you know? It's talked about often, but yeah. never actually gets put into practice. Is wider electrification true? Yeah, which is really if we're going to go greener in this country, is what yeah. we need. True. You know, we've got the crazy situation of uh, Voyager trains working from Glasgow through Edinburgh all the yeah. way down the East Coast Main yeah. Line under the wires, and then down to Plymouth and Penzance. You know, mm-hmm. the, I, I think there's a feeling now that we could almost leap, leapfrog electrification too. To other to, 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 to other more, fuels yeah, that don't bi- bi- yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. yeah batteries or yeah. hydrogen or mm. what you think bi-mode might actually be a better idea than I'm not saying that's my opinion I'm just saying wire. that people who are making these decisions are perhaps thinking why do we install expensive electrification when there might be something else such as well, batteries that you're, you're right there because if we take an example of the Stadler class 755s the engine unit in those is designed to actually have something like batteries or even a fuel cell in. Well, take that now. Yes, yeah, it was designed specifically with that in mind, mm. looking ahead to the future. Mm. But the difficulty is obviously in the modification of existing trains to, to encompass that new technology. Mm. But you've got um, uh, this technology in, in buses that will, it'll, the GPS will tell the bus to shut down its power unit or to go on to uh, electric mode well because ge- uh, geofencing and um, the bus will know where it is on the on uh, on the globe and, mm. and where on the map where to power up where to run quietly if you like well railways could possibly do that couldn't they? but the there are there are buses that actually run on batteries and they pull into a charging station with the yeah charging pantograph so that goes up what i was thinking was whether you could possibly be where rail, um, a train is electric for where there's um, catenary or, or, or whatever mm. there and then where it's challenging to put in catenary say un, in a tunnel for example or under a bridge because of you could then have it could be intelligent enough or smart enough to know that um, I'm gonna have to run on battery for that section or over that viaduct or whatever mm. Mm. so then that might cut the cost of installation Steel wheel on a steel rail, can we see that still being around in 100 years' time? I can't see it better than no. that, really, at the moment. I think so. You don't yeah. think there'll be things flying through the air, like personal, you get your personal space and you fly in a little pod or something? Yeah, I think yeah. that's as far away now as it, as it was yeah. 100 years ago. What about ago? these awful guided busways and things, concrete railways? I think they'd fallen out of favour, haven't they? 
It's still it's born at Luton now, isn't it? As well as Cambridge. Cambridge Luton, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't think they've proved that successful, have they? So Probably hopefully not. we've yeah. seen the yeah. last of those. Yeah. Didn't Leeds abandon their plans? Um, or are they sort of low? Well, they kind of got them, yeah. Yeah, but now no, Leeds is well, hopefully getting a metro again. Yeah, the Transport Works Act application failed, didn't it? Right. Because you can to open a guided busway requires the same uh, legal process as it does, and the same with putting a trolley bus network in. The same, uh, you have to go through the same legal process uh, or similar legal process, Transport and Works Act order, as you would if you're putting a railway in. Okay. Um, well, what about this this um, development at uh, Warwick University, the very light yeah. railway vehicle? Yeah. Where obviously you don't have to dig down quite so deep and disturb the utilities in quite the way that yeah. traditional tram networks have had to do. Well, that's really exciting I, for, 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 for city... City centre use, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And obviously making city centres, obviously uh, giving the cleaner air, yeah. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. Right. Nottingham and Sheffield have been great success stories, haven't they? And Manchester. Manchester especially. Yeah. 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 I think Leeds does need one. It does, it does. It's one of the biggest cities not to have. Yeah, Leeds and Bristol, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, I'm all for it. Good. Yeah. What a journey do railway magazines been on them? What oh, a journey yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. No, I, I just wish we didn't age and then we could carry on doing it. Yeah. 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 Well, good luck to Morton's and I hope it stays. And you, Paul. Thank you. You've been doing a brilliant job. And it, Keeping it going, and, and, and Gareth, and Gareth uh, yeah. sorry, Gareth, you too. Yeah, and, and I just hope yeah. long, long may it continue. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. We, we aim to live up to the standards that, well, that you've all set. Yeah. Yeah. Very high bar. <laughs> <laughs> well, well. Yeah. Not, not no limbo then. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's nice for us to sit here and to see two people who are going to take it forward. Yeah, who are young and enthusiastic, just yeah. like we used to be. Yeah. Yeah. But we're lucky so best to also, of luck to both of you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. We're also lucky to be able to uh, be friends with, with you, Jet, or with you guys as well. We yeah. can ask and pick your brains. And well, that's yeah, it. Any it's time. All, it's all uh, part yeah. of yeah. all the Yeah, while we're still here, yeah. just pick yeah. up the phone. We don't yeah. know. It's, it's nice to be remembered. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Excellent.